Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am your host. And right now, I am coming to you from Westerly, Rhode Island a little hotel on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean um, where the staff is profoundly rude. It's called the Ocean House Hotel. And all I would say is don't come here. (laughs) Overpriced, terrible hotel, awful people, nothing good about it, very highly rated. There's a nice little inn in the town. Go to that. Okay. Joining us... Joining us from... On the plus side, I know a great little cabin in Wyoming. <laughs> right, exactly. Rosa Brooks is in Washington, D.C. Are you in Washington, D.C.? I'm, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia, David. Better, better. Not too far from Paul Manafort is Rosa Brooks <laughs> with Maria Butina. No, and in his car where he lives is David Sanger. In David, did they not pay you at the New York Times? It's sort of sad that you have to live in your car. Well, I was going to tell David that if he doesn't like the New England accommodations he has, he can come up to our log cabin, hang out with us, and we will charge him only half of what he's being charged at the overpriced <laughs> hotel. And the service will be much friendlier. And I mean, if you're going to get insulted, you might as well be insulted by friends. That's my view. No, that's true. That's why I love you, David. That, like, I always know that you will insult me for nothing. And and far, far away, in Panama, of all places, um, in search of large mosquitoes, I guess, is Avalon Farkas of the Atlantic Council. Well, in search of sun and relaxation, but instead, if you can hear my voice, I caught a cold. Well, no. What's yes. the point of going somewhere warm if you're going to get a cold? I know, I know. Well, and the other thing is it's not quite their, um, their summer season here. So, But it's been very interesting, and it's a chance to get away from the fray in Washington, D.C. Well, the fray you in know, Washington... It's interesting because a lot of people leave Washington because it's a swamp, and she swapped it for a canal. <laughs> yeah, right. She swapped it for the original swamp where, you know, they brought us yellow fever. And the yeah. Anopheles mosquito. Um, there was something very, very soothing yesterday watching those big, huge ships pass through the canal, just sort of focusing on simple engineering, gravity, water, and not having to think about all the messiness that you guys are still confronted with outside your windows. Or well, maybe only Rosa, actually. At the moment, at the moment that would be Rosa. But 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 let's talk a little bit about what's happened this week. I think we have to begin. It was with, a quiet week. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, you know, let's let's begin with John McCain, shall we? 
because I, I I like the idea of actually having a conversation about something positive. And as remarkable as the life of John McCain was, uh, and he would be the first to have admitted, and he repeated it over and over, that he was flawed, and many of us may have disagreed with him on many fronts. Um, but he elevated the business of politics by the fact that he came to it with a view towards public service that was unique, with a background as a legitimate American hero that was unique, uh, with a commitment to being direct uh, and engaging with the press that was refreshing, uh, certainly refreshing in the light of these times, uh, and with um, a sense of humor about it, uh, which is also, I think, important and was part of his his great charm. And of course, as he knew he was exiting, he offered a number of stirring remarks, including the farewell letter that he wrote, which I encourage everybody to go read if they haven't read it yet, um, which was extremely moving. And, and everybody in Washington was touched by this, whether they were a Democrat or Republican, with one glaring exception. There was one person who could not find it within their soul for five minutes to behave like a decent human being, set aside differences, not speak ill of the dead, show him some respect. Um, and once again, that person was the president of the United States, revealing himself to be the, the very least among us. Um, but he tried to withhold honors from McCain, and in the end, only ended up dishonoring himself. But you guys, some of you knew McCain, I think, worked with him, had yep. a sense of him, and how important he was. And so let me start with you, David. I just, I just like your sense of, of why John McCain is an important person to talk about and why his absence is, is going to be so significant. You know, David, the, the reaction to uh, McCain's death was partly because of who he was and his remarkable story, his sense of humor, the relationships that he built and his willingness to engage in, in real argument on real subject matter, even if you didn't agree with him. But I, I think also it was a recognition that something was really gone permanently in Washington and that his death came at just the wrong moment when we've got a government that will not engage and a president who reacted the way that uh, you described. McCain would not want us to go focus on uh, the way that the president reacted to all of this, because I think what McCain would want us, what would do would be dismiss that with two words you couldn't repeat on deep state radio. Uh, and I can almost hear him saying them now. Uh, but well, go ahead, because would, as far as I know, there are no words you cannot say in deep state radio. Well, that's, that's true. But I, 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 I suspect in this particular case, he would want us to just focus straight in on what difference he made. And the difference he made was the, the incredible strength of his moral testimony, 
when he opposed the uh, uh, use of waterboarding and other torture techniques, which the Bush administration kept insisting was not torture, first of all, there was no arguing with him. He would say, so uh, anybody else who's been tortured, stand up and help. Let's get engaged in this conversation about torture. There weren't many. But the second was his observation that how we treated people captured on battlefield said more about us than it said about al-Qaeda or any of our other adversaries. And it was that concept that ultimately won the day, although he was also great fun to cover. I mean, the Straight Talk Express was rarely full of straight talk. But it was always full of um, great banter, good humor, and real discussion of issues. I remember when he was running in 2008 in New Hampshire, I um, drove over from Vermont with, uh, with my kids to take in a day or two of the campaigning. And the first thing he did was invite the kids on the Straight Talk Express, who sort of banished me up to the front. He said, you know, your dad's heard all this stuff before and began to give them the kind of lesson in how you go run for president that you would not hear in civics class, including repeating the same speech over and over and over again until you would rather throw yourself out the window than say it one more time. Um, but he really gave them a vision of the the nonsense through which we put our candidates and how poor a measure it is of figuring out what kind of president they'll be. Well, yeah, and that speaks also to humanity, which is, you know, his humanity as a person, which is yeah. ennobling and elevating and refreshing and different. Evelyn, and, you know, he wasn't really going to get much at that time from the 14 and 10-year-old vote. Well, that's right. But uh, um, I'm sure your kids would have voted for him now. Um, uh, Evelyn, you worked with him on the Hill, correct? I did. I did. I was a staffer, senior staffer with the Senate Armed Services Committee from 2001 to 2007. And, and then I ran a commission and then I actually stayed in touch with him and traveled when I had the, um, re, uh, the job in the Defense Department uh, responsible for Russia and Eastern Europe and subsequently. So over the last several years, um, I was part of the delegation that went with him to the Munich Security Conference. So I got to see him operate up close in that setting. But I think what 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 stands out to me the most that hasn't been mentioned, I mean, clearly, I absolutely agree with what David said about the courage of his convictions, the fact that he spoke from an understanding of what basic American values were in the, in the Senate. I mean, the, the time frame that I mentioned, 2001 to 2008, that was those were the Bush years. And. So we worked very closely. I was part of the uh, staff of, of Senator uh, Carl Levin, uh, and he was the counterpart to first Senator Warner as chairman, and then Senator McCain later. And so the the partnership between the two of them revealed a lot about Senator McCain, and I think the policy arguments they had and then where they agreed were very interesting. And so, again, I, I guess I would just agree with David that he had the courage of his convictions. He, everything he said and fought for was rooted in his deep sense of American values and for standing up for what you believe is right. You know, not all of his policies were ones that we agreed with on the Democratic side of the aisle, but you had to respect him because of where he was coming from. And there's a part of his 
I guess his his background that isn't discussed as much these days because there's a real focus on his interest in democracy and human rights and anti-torture, all of that. But there's also, there's been a little bit on McCain-Feingold, but there's also the strong ethics reform and the the champion against waste, fraud, and abuse that I think we very much appreciated. And Carl Levin was another member who felt very strongly about, first of all, it bolstering the ethics within the Senate itself. So he and uh, so Senators McCain and Levin were key proponents. This predates my getting to the Senate of an internal reform of Senate ethics rules, which may have also been informed by his experience from the Keating Five scandal. But nevertheless, uh, Senator McCain really came at it at, at the issue of ethics, not just from the perspective of, oh, we have to deal with the political environment and campaign finance and the money going into the political game, but also let's start at home in our offices here in the Senate. And so, you know, he he liked to walk he liked to try to walk the walk the talk or talk the walk or whatever. <laughs> anyway, you know, live 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 the way that he wanted others to live. And that that was a strand that ran throughout his tenure. The other one, as I mentioned, was combating waste, fraud, and abuse. He was really very protective of the American taxpayers' investment in the defense establishment. He felt strongly that we needed a strong defense, a strong national security in order to bolster what we were doing diplomatically and economically in the world. But he didn't want to do that on the backs of the American people. He didn't want to waste your money, right? And so he was very, he was a a bulldog and he was actually, you know, he made a lot of headlines being quite rude to a lot of industrial um, titans, you know, from Boeing, uh, I guess the most well-known case is the Boeing tanker contract whereby there were there was a lot of scandal involved in inflation of the contract and um and and Senator McCain was key in holding the 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 contractors feet so the big defense industry and Boeing in particular holding their feet to the fire but also holding the Pentagon's feet to the fire and pushing through a lot of legislation that nobody really knows about it didn't make a lot of headlines and it certainly didn't get him any votes back in Arizona but it actually saved money for the American people and made government more transparent and responsible. Um, Rosa, obviously you've spent a huge portion of your career in, 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 in the same world he was in. What's your perspective? Well, you know, it's, it's both David and Evelyn were much closer to him than, than I was. I've met him, but don't have that uh, deep personal experience that they have. Um, I, you know, I, I think, I'm not sure I have anything to say that everybody else isn't saying, right? Um, the only, I, here's, here's my usual ambivalence in situations like that, um, like this. Um, there is this tremendous and inevitable um, me tooism on, you know, I too am going to issue my own little tweet saying what an amazing guy he was. Um, and that's obviously not inappropriate. You know, someone is dead. Um, and whatever his flaws may have been, um, this isn't the moment. Uh, at the same time, I, I think that 
in the coming weeks, you know, there is an enormous amount to admire about John John McCain. And I will I will stipulate for the record, not only that there is an enormous amount to admire about him, and I do admire many things about him, and that our Donald Trump is not fit to shine his shoes, et cetera, et cetera. But I think in the coming weeks, you know, we, we also need to talk about the ways in which McCain, for all that he represented, you know, our sort of fantasy, old school, you know, man of integrity and so on, uh, not always, you know, the choice of Sarah Palin as his running mate in 2008, um, you know, something which I think he came obviously himself to deeply regret and be very uncomfortable with, you know, helped helped enable the Trump moment in all kinds of ways, you know, by sort of liberating and dignifying the sort of raw tribalistic politics that has been destroying the Republican Party ever since. You know, so I think he regretted it. I think he was aware that he created a monster, but that's part of the legacy there too, you know, and it this this feels like this feels like the inappropriate moment to say that, right? And I don't, you know, none of this, none of this, you know, people are complicated. You know, people are, people are not all one thing and all, or all another. And, and, you know, there are so many things that I like and admire about him, but, the, uh, but his legacy is not an unmixed one. Well, I think, no, I think that's an important point. And I think that, uh, you know, over time, we, 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 we will reflect on that. But even in that, David, there is something to, to grasp onto, which is leaders aren't perfect. Leaders make mistakes. In order to have a functioning system, we have to understand that. We have to offset those mistakes. We have to have a civil discourse with those we disagree, all things he promoted. But we also need leaders to have a certain modicum of humanity and values. Otherwise, they shouldn't be in a position to lead. And I think one of the things that this week has you know, revealed yet again is that whatever strengths may be attributed to Donald Trump by his supporters, decency and values just don't figure in the equation. He, the, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, David, that's because for all of these things, it's always about Donald Trump, right? So, you know, when uh, when Aretha Franklin died um, uh, a few days ago, the statement out of the White House talked um, first about the times that he had met her and then that she worked for him, which is not really the <laughs> right. first thing. And that she really that wasn't got. nearly as good as a singer as he was. No. Right. Well, right. it didn't quite go that far, but that sort of left that impression. <laughs> for um, for McCain, um, he said nothing when the family uh, announced that they were ceasing treatment uh, and then turned out a very grudging statement uh, on Sunday that basically expressed sympathy to the family, but said nothing about McCain and his life. Now, you would think having stepped into it when he said, you know, I, I like my heroes not captured or whatever the exact wording was, um, that it would be a moment to reflect on uh, the man's career from Vietnam uh, forward. And then this whole long delay about bringing the uh, flag to half staff. Now, all these will be forgotten over time. They'll just be you know, notched into one more example of why Donald Trump resists, push back, pushes back at um, 
uh, every element of the ceremonial or the expected part of his job. But in the McCain case, it was basically he was critical of me. Why should I acknowledge his role to the nation? And I'm sure that as we watch what unfolds over the next few days with five days of funeral services in Arizona, laying lying in state in the in the rotunda of the Capitol, the, uh, the funeral at the National Cathedral, the burial out at um, at the Naval Academy. I this will, I suspect, result in the president trying to go come out with a series of statements that either change the topic or try to upstage it or or whatever. And you know, it was pretty notable that he had to send a bunch of other people because he was disinvited to um, to the funeral. Um, I think that the civil discourse part that you raise here gets to another issue. It's easy to disagree with McCain on many different things. And if you were on the receiving end of his temper, and I was a few times when I published things of a national security nature, uh, you could really feel the lash. Um, But he was willing to argue and have his mind changed. You know, after I published details of the... um, uh, of the American attacks on the Iranian nuclear program, he was highly critical in public and in private of me. And then when I made the point to him that the code had already gotten out and I wasn't telling the Iranians anything they didn't know, he kind of changed his tune. I can't think of many politicians who are willing to do that, who are willing to be argued with in, in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that was a big difference. And that's something that's missing in D.C. today in particular. No, that, that, that's, I think, indeed, that is the thing that is most tragic that it's missing, the, 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 willingness to, the willingness to change your mind, the willingness to compromise, the willingness to say, yeah, you know, I was wrong, I regret that, uh, that is a rare, a rare Or even just the words, thing. I didn't look at it that way, even if he yeah, hasn't, yeah. isn't completely convinced. Well, I think that's one of the, you know, one of the things that has sort of come to me as I have aged gracefully. <laughs> David, you haven't aged at all. Thank you. Thank you. But since. And since, I would say you just haven't aged gracefully, but I get Thank know. you. Thank <laughs> you. And somewhere between those truths is the truth. But, you know, one of the things that is right is, you know, I guess when I was a kid, I kind of thought, I kind of idealized leaders and thought that there was a certain standard that they must, you know, be and that they were not the same as mortals. And then you come to Washington. I've lived in Washington for 25 years. You you see that they're all deeply flawed in one way or another. And you start to value different kinds of things. And this point you bring up, this ability to admit when you're wrong, is one of the rarest and most crucial if we're to actually have a functioning government. And I'll give you another example that never, I you know, I mean, I'm surprised that I would say it, but I ended up writing it in a book. One of the things that struck me the most, and I think George W. Bush, you know, arguably the first term foreign policy of George W. Bush was the most damaging that I've seen in my lifetime and involved some really catastrophic mistakes on his part and others, is that by the end of his second term, he had learned from a lot of those mistakes. And whatever his flaws were, he had made an effort to evaluate admit errors and grow. And so I'm not, you know, whitewashing him, but 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 I came to sort of admire that because other leaders don't have that quality. 
Evelyn, another thing that strikes me as I look at the McCain thing, one of the most touching things to me, and it's a small part of the story, is that McCain has chosen to be buried at Annapolis. Right. He's, he's chosen to be buried next to his best friend from school, uh, a guy named Chuck Larson. Now, Chuck was a Navy four-star admiral, and I had the great privilege of getting to know him, spend time with him, go to a deli in downtown Annapolis a bunch of times and have a sandwich and a milkshake and talk to him about the world. Uh, he later you know, ran unsuccessfully for some political office. But he was a kind of military leader that is 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 really sort of what is the best of 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 the u s military uh thoughtful um soldier statesman at least aspiring to that kind of thing um and 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 thoroughly decent person and I think among the things that reflect best on McCain is his appreciation for that kind of friendship. Um, and and I, I just, I, I get the sense of deep appreciation for McCain within the defense community. And I just thought maybe you want to comment on that. Well, yes, because he was so steeped in, again, the values that undergird and are and 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 are are sewn into the the military culture you know the value of service of putting the the nation the well first your service i guess your 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 the navy for example above self but really it's about putting the nation above self and of course mccain exemplified that in his in his actual service and the fact that he not only served in the Navy during wartime was shot down, then was a POW. But then he also put himself, he, he put himself last when it came to his brothers in arms, you know, and at that time it really was brothers. Um, and, and I think there's a real understanding that McCain lived by all the rules. They were so deeply ingrained in him and the rules were, the rules that are, I don't I don't know. I think they're still core and they're still embedded deeply in the military today, but they're not highlighted enough and they're also at tension with some of the 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 culture we have in the broader society. And what I mean by that is one of the rules in the military was to be you had to be sort of modest even though of course people were competing to get ahead and if you were going to be a four-star admiral, you had to you had to find a way to shine. But there was a, a, a culture, and this was kind of also maybe part of the American culture at the time, so it fit with the military. But over time, I think the military culture has tried to hold on to that, you know, you don't brag, and it's about the group rather than the individual, whereas American society has become much more me, 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 <laughs> and much more about highlighting and stepping out and stepping over people to make your name, if you will, even if your name is made just by being, you know, a Kardashian and, and selling, um, I guess, naked videos of yourself. I don't, I don't know. Um, so, you know, the, the military has this deep ethic rooted in, in what America is and the, and the understanding that you can't have a democracy unless there are people who are willing to put their lives on the line to fight for it. And, 
I think there's a there's a great book, you know, you talk about Chuck Larson and the classmates that McCain had. There's a great book called Nightingale Song, which highlighted a bunch of these folks who went to the Naval Academy in their careers. And I read it too long ago to really give you a good summary of it. But I think the the way that these people live their lives, the ethic that they lived by is something that's a little bit lost. And we lost it a little bit ironically, or not ironically, but truthfully, in Vietnam and the wars where we went wrong. And of course, the Iraq War, the 2003 Iraq War is the latest example. And which, I think Americans have support. forgotten. Yeah. Right, 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 exactly. Um, Americans have forgotten about the maybe the the good war or the necessary war, and I don't put Afghanistan in that category. The sort of World War II experience. What did we fight for there? Why was it so important that we fought? I think that seems to have been lost somewhat, and and I don't really know why. But I find myself drawing on you know the literature not and and literature and nonfiction writing that covers the interwar years before world war 2 and the rise of hitler and sort of trying to call back for myself but also for americans you know the a recognition that we have bedrock values that need to be defended we can't take them for granted well, and, i think yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to go go over, go over to Rosa here. We just have a few minutes left, and I think Evelyn sort of zeroed in on this. You know, a key thing. David mentioned it too. One of the things that must be driving Trump up the wall is the 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 fact that he is going to be placed into juxtaposition to McCain for a week, whether he likes it or not, and he may not like that. McCain has asked George W. Bush and Barack Obama to give two of his eulogies or that he doesn't want Trump to do, didn't want Trump to do it. But it's not just that. It's that it's this juxtaposition between the Kardashian values and what might be considered old school values. Trump, you know, I, I, I find it very hard to watch or read about the Kardashians because they're superficial and irritating, but but also because I see a direct connection between the Kardashianization of American society and the rise of Donald Trump, where celebrity and being, you know, interesting on television and flamboyant and rich and hanging out with other celebrities is are, are the things that seem to be valued and other things which occur off camera are not. And, you know, Do Donald Trump can be elected president and John McCain can lose uh, in his campaigns for the presidency. But once, a long time ago, when he was in prison in Vietnam, being tortured, both of his arms broken, and because his father and grandfather were admirals in the U.S. Navy, the North Vietnamese said to him, you can go home now. And he said, no, Either you're going to let people out in the order they came here, or you're going to let us all out together, but I'm going to stay. In that one moment, he defined himself in terms of those other values in a way that Donald Trump you know, could work his, his entire life, and, and I don't think he'll even understand that. No, and he won't. And, and you know, to me, that's the thing. It's, there is this juxtaposition 
<laughs> it's not a it's a painful juxtaposition. No, I, absolutely. Um, I mean, John McCain was not perfect, but but he. If we had a Congress full of John McCain's and a White House with John McCain at the helm, this country would be much, much better off. And and it's a it's a shaming and embarrassing comparison, not only for Donald Trump personally, if, if he had any self-awareness, I'm not convinced he does, but for us as a nation that we, we managed to put a man like Donald Trump in the White House. Um, and we'd be debating real issues. We wouldn't be debating tweets and put downs and whatever. Right. Occasionally like, you know, debate you know, tweets and put downs, but not as much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he would when he would do them, they would truly be funny. But but the um, the fact of the matter is, you know, there's a part of McCain that drove the Pentagon crazy. I mean, he he um, had no tolerance for non competition in uh, in weapon systems. He constantly challenged outdated systems that he felt were being preserved merely to hold on to jobs. And so there were things that you know put McCain and defense secretaries at very strong odds at, at, at moments. And uh, there are more than a few defense secretaries I've heard, you know, vent about McCain. But at least it was over a real issue. Yeah, Rosa, did you want to yeah. wrap up what you were saying there? No, I, I, there's not much more to say. I mean, I, I, I don't even bother to feel angry at Trump himself, because I think that that's... Trump is a victim of his own limitations and those limitations are cognitive and moral and you know who knows what mix of nurture and nature created Donald Trump but I don't think Donald Trump in some fairly fundamental way I don't think Donald Trump has the the mental or psychological capacity to appreciate how awful he is you know if he could appreciate it he wouldn't be this awful um, um, right. I, I so I don't in, in some fairly, you know, if, if Trump were on trial and I was his lawyer, I would be saying he is incompetent to stand trial because he's an idiot and he's incapable of comprehending what is fully, fully comprehending what is happening here. I don't think he fully comprehends what he's doing to the nation. I don't think he I don't think he has any ability to fully comprehend how different he is from John McCain. The people I blame in that sense, you know, it's not Donald Trump, in a, you know, because he is, he can't be other than who he is. It's all the people around him uh, who know better and who are enabling him. And unfortunately, I think at this point, that is, that is coming to include, you know, include people such as our Secretary of Defense, which saddens me to say that. Yeah, no, no question about that. Although he will be one of the pallbearers at the funeral of John McCain on this uh, coming uh, Saturday. Obviously, we'll keep talking about this. This episode of, of Deep State Radio is drawing to a close at the moment, uh, but uh, we'll follow these issues and this debate for a long time to come, I think, because some of these things are, 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 are fundamental. Um, I, I do want to say that if you want a little bit more uh, perspective on this, uh, our friend Corey Shockey, who couldn't be with us because of our schedule this week, um, wrote a terrific piece in The Atlantic um, about McCain uh, based on her experience with him. And, and I would encourage you to go and, and, and look at that. Uh, and as I've mentioned the past couple of weeks, during the week of September 10th, we are going to start to unveil um, a number of new um, uh, features of Deep State Radio, including deepstateradionetwork.com, a place where you can go and get all the 
content that we've done, but also some new content and where there will be a Deep State Radio swag store and where there will be a members-only site, which will offer some special stuff. And if you want to get a discount, you want to get an advantage for that, just go to deepstateradionetwork.com. It'll pop up, uh, give us your email. We'll send you uh, the what you need to get a discount uh, and become uh, part of the a de- a, an even more integral part of the Deep State Radio family. Uh, we view this as a community effort, and we want to build that community. And so we'd, we'd, we'd love it if all of you can go and, and do that. Uh, of course, one of the most important things you can do in that community is come back soon. We've got another episode in a couple of days. In the meantime, thank you, David Sanger, in your car. Thank you, Evelyn Farkas, with your cold in Panama. Uh, thank you, Rosa Brooks, currently looking after all the inmates in Alexandria. And don't stay at the Ocean House Hotel in Westerly, Rhode Island, whatever you do. In fact, write them nasty emails, tweet at them. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, you know, just this is off the deep state list. Someday there'll be a deep state radio certified hotel list um, in, in, in war zones around the world, including Rhode Island. Uh, in the meantime, thanks, everybody. And please join us again soon for the next episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.